Good day, and welcome to our inaugural, no pun intended, OFCCP podcast series, which will feature much debate, discussion, and hopefully some practical analysis by and between seasoned OFCCP policy experts and practitioners. My name is Ray Van, and I am an employment lawyer and shareholder in the Washington, D.C. office of Carlton Fields. With me today is my dear friend and colleague, Matt Nussbaum, who is Senior Consultant and Director of the BCG Institute, or better known as BCGI. Uh, But perhaps more importantly, uh, Matt is a leading expert nationally in all things OFCCP. Matt, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Ray. I'm very excited to be here. We wanted to talk today about uh, what contractors can and should expect from OFCCP, both from a policy as well as an enforcement perspective uh, from the incoming Biden administration, given the many new directives, FAQs, technical assistance guidances, uh, updates to the FCCM, and that's all on top of a very few um, notable rulemakings. The OFCCP, uh, I think you would agree, Matt, has been uh, pretty busy uh, in its uh, in the last three years, and yet it seems that President-elect Biden is certainly wasting no time, uh, having announced just a few days ago his intention to nominate Boston Mayor Marty Walsh as his Secretary of Labor. So, Matt, with all of that said, I want to get your perspective and expert insight on this. Um, First, what can we expect out of OFCCP on day one, on January 21st? Recognizing that these aren't normal times, right? Is there anything we can glean from the last presidential transition, maybe, regarding what the next few months may look like in terms of OFCCP policy development, audits, enforcement, not least of which staffing changes, right? <laughs> yeah, Ray, I'm, I'm fairly confident that one of the many things we should have learned by now is not to necessarily look to the past to predict future events. Uh, that said, the OFCCP has not historically been at the top of anyone's to-do list when taking office, and I think there's a mountain of critical issues facing this incoming administration. Uh, if I had to lay a bet, uh, you know, I would let I would bet on a career personnel person keeping the ship pretty much on course until a new labor secretary is in place. Uh, we have one named, but you know, as you know, the uh, the confirmation process may get a little sticky um, and may take some time. And so, once the the labor secretary is actually in place, then we need to appoint an OFCCP director, uh, and this this process usually takes months. And so, in the meantime, it's the the career personnel who are going to keep the ship running. And even into the new tenure, I think a little bit of the new OFCCP director, whoever that may be, they're going to need to spend some time getting the lay of the land and deciding what to keep and what to change. So in the meantime, I suspect that the OFCCP will continue on with audits and complaint investigations in line with what we've already seen, in line with what we're used to from this administration by and large. Um, I would be surprised if the agency actually started scheduling new types of audits, such as promotion or accommodation-focused reviews, because going down that road in any meaningful way requires a level of dedication that's not guaranteed in the new administration. Uh, That's not the way I would hold the line if I were interim in charge. 
The only exception, uh, I think, is likely to be Executive Order 13950, banning certain types of training by federal contractors. Uh, you know, most people I've talked to agree that rescission of that order will happen sooner rather than later. Uh, it was big enough a big enough issue to land in transition briefing books and such, and does not require new appointees or even much effort on part of the incoming administration. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that a rescission order is already drafted. Uh, even so, more pressing issues could delay action there as well. Uh, in the meantime, it's been enjoined nationally by a federal district court judge, and the Department of Labor has put it on ice. So it's not quite dead yet, but it should really have its affairs in order. Well, about the executive order, um, as you know, Director Lean um, shared shortly after uh, the hotline went into effect that the agency had already received 100 or so in uh, complaints that it was in the process of investigating. So any thoughts as to what happens to those open complaints? And of course, when we talk about EO13950, we're talking about President Trump's executive order banning, quote unquote, divisive training. Right. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, the question is, what's the, the, the effect of the injunction? And does the OFCCP have any other authority to act? And I think the answer is, it's going to sound like a punt, but it's yes and no, because it depends on the contents of the complaint, right? Any complained of activity directly tied to the order's enumerated prohibitions is dead on arrival. Um, you know, as we've noted, the order has been enjoined from going into effect pending federal court litigation, and the Department of Labor has suspended all enforcement and investigation activity pending the outcome. The wrinkle is that the OFCCP has always had the authority to evaluate and critique the contents of employee training materials relevant to a contractor's equal employment opportunity and affirmative action obligations. They just haven't done that historically. The OFCCP's regulations implementing Executive Order 11246 don't explicitly address training content. Uh, in fact, those regulations don't technically require any training at all, much less attempt to explicitly regulate it. But there's always been the possibility that training content could result in a hostile work environment claim under a traditional Title VII framework. That's a pretty big hill to climb for the OFCCP, though, so it's not surprising that they haven't really gone there. But if the agency receives a complaint involving something that could give rise to a Title VII hostile work environment claim, I think they'd be more likely to pursue it regardless of the fate of EO13950. Uh, same as they would if they got a complaint about actual discrimination occurring in a training setting. But if something like that does pop up, I think the OFCCP would likely refer that to the EEOC anyway. They'll have the deeper bench there and more clear authority. Now, I have my own feelings about uh, EO13950 and the apparent politics behind it that I won't go into other than to say I look forward to its demise. Uh, that said, I also hope that people take some lessons from it. I think it's important for us as EEO and AA practitioners to learn from this and the larger federal political landscape over the last several years that leaving people behind, leaving people out of the conversation, can be an impediment to our goals. And finger-pointing and shaming are typically not effective ways to win over hearts and minds. I'm not saying we need to coddle people who just can't quit their racism habit. I'm saying, though, that if you just throw them off the train and try to forget about them, leave it to them to catch up, that's a mistake. 
anyone paying any attention to the last several years should understand that it doesn't take too many of those people to derail the whole train, and that's what we're risking when we shut the door on them. We have to find better ways to communicate to broader audiences about what we're trying to do and what is expected of them. And as hard as it might be for some of us to do, we might need to start by realizing it isn't really our job or responsibility to change people. That might not be realistic, but we can be clear about how people are expected to behave in the workplace. You don't actually have to believe in EEO or affirmative action to abide by the law. You can feel however you want about it, like you can feel however you like about the company's dress code or attendance policy. Go ahead and feel your feels, but non-compliance has consequences. I've got a lot of thoughts on this topic, so I'm going to cut myself off because I could go on for another hour, but I think like in so many other areas, now needs to be a time to reflect and reassess our approach, what has worked, what hasn't, and what might help us find a better way forward. Because over half a century after the Civil Rights Act was enacted, we're still struggling with basic compliance with the law. We need to do better, and I think we can. Great perspective, Matt. Thank you for that. And it provides a really good segue into our next discussion topic. So you mentioned in terms of, you know, the practical OFCCP personnel, career staff basically running the ship, taking the helm until we have a um, political appointee in place at OFCCP. How do you see those Trump policy directives and enforcement statements and positions being enforced by the career staff. So I guess if you can start with sort of an overall um, discussion of the impact generally of the Trump administration on OFCCP enforcement, and then um, what of those changes in policy or enforcement direction you think are likely to have lasting impacts. Yeah, that to me is the really interesting thing here. For those of us who've been in this industry long enough to experience OFCCP enforcement under different administrations or who are students of history, uh, we're used to the OFCCP being more quote unquote active under democratic administrations and shall we say more business friendly under Republican ones. So the conversation around transitions has always been about predicting what will change, how and how quickly. Here, though, the OFCCP has sort of broken the mold for the agency under Republican rule. Current OFCCP director Craig Lean, who has served as director for the majority of the Trump administration, could fairly be described as an activist compared to past directors appointed by Republicans. He did a lot of things my more liberal colleagues had on their wish lists for years. Uh, as a personal example, I had advocated strongly during the Obama administration for a contractor's bill of rights. I thought it was important for the agency to lay down some bedrock principles for how the agency expected to be treated by contractors and vice versa. Frustratingly, though, it was repeatedly just dismissed out of hand. It didn't gain any traction until I brought it up at an OFCCP town hall meeting under the current administration, but before Andre Harris was appointed director, so the meeting was conducted by the career interim at the time. I thought it would be a good softball, you know, something the agency could do with minimal effort, but still signal to the contracting community that better relations were on the way. So I wasn't overly surprised when the agency finally picked it up and ran with it, but I was shocked when the new administration expanded on it. 
That ended up serving as the foundation on which now Director Lean has built a relatively strong policy framework in the form of OFCCP directives, in particular directives regarding transparency, efficiency in compliance evaluations, reining in the arguably abusive use of predetermination notices, the creation of the Ombud Service, and reinstituting uh, contractor recognition awards. You know, except for more efficiently run audits, these are things more typically associated with democratic administrations. But Director Lean also undertook Herculean efforts to bring substance and meaning to affirmative action programs for individuals with disabilities. Even after the OFCCP's massive overhaul of the disability and veteran AAP regulations under Obama back in 2014, introducing quantitative metrics, those AAPs remained largely a paperwork exercise until Director Lean instituted disability and veteran-focused reviews, and the agency started taking a deep dive in those areas. So I actually think that a lot of what Director Lean accomplished will have legs in the new administration. There's now a pretty solid framework in place that serves both the agency and the regulated community fairly well by balancing their respective interests. I'd be surprised and saddened if the OFCCP simply reverts to the gotcha tactics we saw under previous director Patricia Hsu. I know that's what many are afraid of and what many are predicting, but I'm not so sure. Is that to say that you believe that the career staff has bought into the lean era directives and initiatives, enforcement initiatives, in a way that will allow those changes to really have a lasting impact? To an extent, yes. Uh, you know, traditionally, I think the, the thinking has been that, that the career people inside uh, agencies like the OFCCP, you know, tend to be, tend to lean toward um, more liberal views of, of the regulations and, you know, stricter compliance, uh, stricter enforcement. And the, and Director Lean has uh, not taken the, his foot off the gas or the agency's foot off the gas when it comes to enforcement. You know, if anything, they've kind of put the pedal down a little bit. And, you know, I think that a lot of what Director Lean tried to do, uh, you know, bring the agency back within the four corners of the law and establish Title VII jurisprudence um, and then build back from there a very robust enforcement process and, and framework, I think speaks to a lot of the career people at the OFCCP who see their duty as, you know, serving the uh, the applicants and employees, the, the the citizens that the OFCCP is trying to protect. And so I, I think that there's a real handshake there and less tension within this current OFCCP between maybe some career officials who might lean a little farther to the left and the and an OFCCP director appointed by a Republican president. I'm I would have to really search through the history books to find, I think, uh, you know, a, a similar situation where there is potential potentially so much harmony between both sides of the aisle, so to speak. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. It, it really was a function of placing guardrails around the enforcement mechanism and philosophy and strategy uh, to, to align it, better align it with legal and regulatory principles um, and requirements. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you there. On the other hand, though, there invariably have to be some policy directives or initiatives that won't sit so well with a democratic administration. Can you think of 
any of those that um, are likely to get the axe from the Biden administration OFCCP? Well, not to beat the dead horse, but it's kind of fun. Obviously, uh, Executive Order 13950 is going to go the way of the dodo pretty quickly, but uh, that wasn't a lean directive. He did pick it up and run with it, uh, I think, surprisingly hard, but uh, that's going to go away. In a similar vein, the OFCCP took some pretty concrete steps to implement Trump policy priorities regarding religious exemptions. Uh, there, I would expect some clarification and probably some tweaking, but not necessarily a rescission. I think rescinding directives and regulations there would run too great a risk of signaling hostility toward relig religious organizations, which I don't think is going to be the aim of the incoming administration. Uh, but the new administration is likely to interpret federal jurisprudence in this area a bit differently than the current one, so I would expect them to align here accordingly. Um, I also think we'll see some changes to the way the voluntary enterprise-wide review program and early resolution procedures have been implemented. Um, I don't think the concepts are necessarily going away, but this is where I've seen the most business-friendly policy creep in. Uh, there are some ERP settlements that I've seen that just look like relatively cheap get-out-of-jail-free cards, uh, in which remedies were agreed to for violations at one location, and then similar locations appear to be shielded from repercussions for any similar findings. I don't think that's the way it will work under a Biden administration. I think we'll see the OFCCP require contractors to agree to a remedial framework for other locations covered by such settlements. Um, other than that, I honestly don't see much that the new administration should likely axe altogether from Lean's various directives. Like I said, the vast majority of them were already on left-leaning wish lists in the first place. Transparency, accountability, predictability, these are all good things, both for the agency and the regulated community that I hope won't vanish from the landscape. Well, and you speak about the religious exemptions. It's, I imagine it's a lot more difficult um, at least in theory, to get rid of a rulemaking that went through notice and comment rulemaking than it is to basically jettison a policy directive or a set of FAQs that the administration, the incoming administration, uh, might not agree with. What Speaking of regulations, what about the much-touted resolution procedures final rule that went into effect last month? Can you just describe it. Was it controversial? Do you see any reason for the incoming administration to try to change it? And if so, how? Yeah, let me take that in reverse order. Uh, you know, first, yes, rolling back regulations is much more difficult than changing sub-regulatory guidance, such as an OFCCP directive, but it's not insurmountable. As for the rest, this is going to sound like I'm punting, but I really don't know what the new administration's reaction will be to the new rule. On the one hand, it provides some clarity, predictability, and much-needed structure. On the other hand, it could be seen as unnecessarily tying the agency's hands and eliminating flexibility that might be needed to address unique situations. So it cuts both ways. In general, I think that framework is pretty solid and should be something any administration could work with. There are things I would tweak here and there that, and my guess is that lots of practitioners have different things on their wish list here, but the fact that it was a regulatory action makes minor tweaking, I think, maybe less likely in my opinion. If a major overhaul or outright rescission is called for, I think the agency would go for it. But many of the minor tweaks I and others are discussing, like uh, specific definitions of things
things like qualitative evidence and practical significance can probably be effectively addressed by enforcement discretion. Um, I'd need to analyze it a bit more closely to determine if there is anything the OFCCP is likely to feel they really need to change there, uh, but that might be a good indicator of the direction the new administration might be taking. If the agency focuses on making major changes to or outright rescinding the new resolution regulations, that could very well signal a larger shift than what I've been envisioning. Right, I agree. And I know this is a bit out of scope, but just in terms of what contractors should be doing now to prepare themselves, gird themselves for what may be coming. Can you speak very briefly to Oracle? You know, I think about the resolution procedures, final rule, and uh, the slapback that OFCCP experienced in the Oracle ruling with respect, in particular, to the manner in which it analyzed compensation data and and found alleged violations, uh, compensation discrimination in that case. How did the two jibe and what can contractors take away from those two things in just preparing itself again for the incoming administration? Ray, I think that that compensation analysis and uh, compensation discrimination enforcement has for a long time and will continue to be the biggest wild card and the biggest question mark when it comes to OFCCP enforcement. There is a years-long running battle with uh, the OFCCP National Office about uh, proper and improper ways uh, to analyze compensation data uh, that that businesses and organizations tend to keep uh, for the purposes of trying to uncover discrimination or uh, or, or practices that are are unfair. Really, and, going back to Joe Dubray, right? <laughs> right. And, you know, the I, I work with uh, a doctor, Dr. Dan Kwong, uh, who actually helped formulate uh, California's regulations in that area um, and is a, a, a large voice uh, with the, the national office. And it's just sort of a, a constant conversation. I think the labor economists and, and mathematicians that are advocating for, you know, sound practices and, and uh, sound analysis approaches and things like that have made a lot of headway, actually, under this administration. Uh, they're not fully happy, uh, obviously. And I think if I had to, to lay a prediction, uh, you know, seal it in an envelope, open it later, and hopefully call me Nostradamus, I think uh, we'll probably see those conversations change a little bit. And that's, that's my biggest fear is that we'll see the OFCCP kind of slip back into a mode of focusing exclusively on um, analysis procedures and methodologies that fit what it is they're trying to find, um, as opposed to analyses and methodologies designed to uncover truth. And it's, it's a constant conversation. Uh, like I said, I think we've made a, a significant headway in the last several years. I don't know where that's going to go, though. Um, the, it, it was really under the pressure of Director Lean uh, that the, the economists and, and mathematicians in the, the national office really started engaging with people outside of the agency um, and outside experts to help inform their policies. And they have a little bit, um, and that, that's good progress. But I think with Director Lean on the way out and whoever replaces him, um, 
has some decisions to make about where the OFCCP wants to go when it comes to analyzing compensation. Um, whatever it is they land on, uh, you know, I think a a predictable framework that is repeatable by the contracting community is going to be a net win for everyone. Um, the contractors' main, you know, we we can we can complain about this or that little. Uh, difference in the way that we would prefer the analysis methodology to work. Uh, but at the end of the day, contractors really need to be able to perform self-analyses, self-critical analyses in-house, so that they know what the OFCCP would see in an audit, not in order to get around the audit. And this is the, the biggest thing that the OFCCP needs to understand. The desire here in the contractor community is not to have a roadmap for getting around the regulations, but to have a roadmap for getting to compliance. Um, that's the, the number one complaint that I hear day in and day out from my members and the clients of the, the consulting company that I work for, um, and pretty much everyone in the community, is that we're just at a loss of what it is we're supposed to do. Yes. How can we comply? And we, we have to have an answer to that. Nobody's going to be fully happy with the answer, and we've gotten a lot closer to that sort of answer under uh, the current administration, I hope we can continue that work and that we don't backslide. Well, I think that's one promising aspect to the resolution procedure's final rule, right? Uh, it provides some level of predictability, but also with respect to the practical significance discussion, it focuses OFCCP on the practical, right? And I agree with you completely. Most responsible contractors engage in these pay equity and compensation self-analyses to ensure that they're doing the right thing, to ensure that they are paying fairly and equitably and in a manner that is competitive and matches their company's philosophy, right? OFCCP has to learn to defer to an employer's judgment as to how it structures its compensation, as to how it establishes its compensation philosophy, because there can't be a cookie-cutter approach to compensation discrimination analysis. Would you agree with that? I would agree wholeheartedly. And I think one of the biggest things to come out of the current administration is a return to the OFCCP making a distinction between uh, good actors and, and people who are acting in good faith and potentially bad actors. And it's not necessarily overly popular the farther left you go, but I think that that's important for the agency to do and to exercise that discretion. Uh, we saw the complete absence of it uh, pretty much under uh, Director Shu, and I, I think that was pretty problematic, actually. I sympathize with the OFCCP, though, and I, I should recognize that I'm in a fairly privileged position of working with organizations that want to comply. People don't uh, pay money for uh, association memberships and uh, you know, pay uh, tremendous amounts of money to have third-party contractors help them with their AAPs because they're trying to get around the law. So the organizations that I work with are compliance-minded, and I have to recognize that that is a subset of the larger contracting community and that the OFCCP sees a lot more than I do of contractors who either 
didn't know they were contractors and don't really understand their obligations, and those that do perfectly understand them and are trying to get around them and trying to subvert them and things like that. I don't see that kind of activity. I'm in the very privileged position of being able to say to a potential client or a potential member, I am not here to help you get out of your obligations. If that's what you want, I can refer you to someone who does that kind of work, but that's not what I do. And so, in a sense, that keeps me in a fairly privileged position. And the OFCCP sees the ugly side of it quite a bit. So I do sympathize with them. But I also know that they see the good side of it. Uh, because I'm very often helping advise these organizations that do come to me and other organizations trying to comply. I advise them through audits um, and on a, a fairly regular basis. So I know that they are being presented to the OFCCP and that they see the other side. And it's critically important for the OFCCP to recognize there's a difference between dealing with an organization that is trying to comply in good faith and an organization that just wants this to go away. And making that distinction is is absolutely critical and is something that I hope that continues into the, the next administration as opposed to treating every organization as a presumptive criminal. I don't think that that's very useful. I think, you know, kind of to tie back to EO13950, you know, the the idea that everyone is doing something wrong is is not a good way to go about it the and the idea of of pointing finger pointing and shaming people um is just not very effective that's why right. uh, you know certain provisions of that executive order did not necessarily ruffle my feathers as hard as as others because yeah you, i i shouldn't be asking people to stand up in a training and publicly admit that they are racist and sexist and uh you know should be taken out back and beaten with a wet noodle i i, I don't know anybody who actually does that uh, that may be a, a myth right. that worked its way into That's the executive right. order, um, but it's just not productive. And neither is it productive for the agency, for an enforcement agency, to just assume that there is that the organization is breaking the law. We just need to look hard enough to find it. That's right. Um, we don't. We don't need the new OFCCP director coming in and announcing that he or she is the new sheriff in town. That strikes the wrong tone. Uh, that we don't need in an enforcement environment. Well, you know, sometimes you need a sheriff. And where, when it's appropriate, absolutely. Uh, send in the sheriff wearing the white hat at high noon with the gun on their belt and go for it. But it's not always appropriate, is my point. And so, yeah, focusing exclusively on uh, the, the stick side of enforcement as opposed to, you know, the carrot side and working with organizations uh, to strengthen their affirmative action programs to uh, strengthen their self-monitoring and, you know, so that we don't have to waste government taxpayer resources is, is, is a good thing. And, you know, so when I see somebody who just wants to wear the sheriff badge and proclaim that that's their duty, uh, it, that worries me. It absolutely worries me. But sometimes it's necessary. So I need, I, they need a little bit of both. They need to be able to strike a balance there. And I think we're on the road to that. And I'd like to stay on that road. Oh, boy. Uh, this was a great discussion. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I know our audience members will enjoy it immensely. Uh, thank you so much for all of your insight. We could talk for hours and hours more about these issues I'll probably have you back to talk about Oracle. <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, let me just thank you once again, Matt, for joining us and 
thank you to all of our audience members who are listening. Uh, again, my name is Ray Van with Matt Nussbaum, uh, and we look forward to connecting with you once again on yet another OFCCP item of interest. Thank you. I look forward to it too. Thank you so much, Ray. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields or client relationship with Cherry Beckard. Thanks for listening. Thank you.